0: Today's scripture reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let's just begin with a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace in our lives, your mercy which covers us completely uh, through the blood of Jesus. And Lord, because of your blood, Lord, we can come into your very presence, into the throne of mercy to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We thank you, Lord, that that by faith, Lord, we can enter into your presence with boldness and confidence because we are covered by the blood of Jesus and clothed in his righteousness alone. Would you come and speak to us now by your spirit? Come and speak to us through your word. And Lord, may it be your words that come and cut, up, cut us to the heart and give us encouragement and hope that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So hello, New Hope. Greetings from Windhoek, Namibia, um, from our New Hope Namibia team. For those of you who don't know me, my family and I live in Namibia where the Lord has called us to preach the gospel among youth in the informal settlements of Windhoek. In a ministry we call Agape Youth. Agape Youth is a ministry of New Hope Fellowship since 2015 with a vision to be a gospel youth movement in Windhoek, Namibia, and to the nations. Today I'm preaching in Alex Lee's place. And I don't take that lightly because Alex has been called by the Lord to take care of people sick with COVID-19. God has raised up Alex and other healthcare workers in New York and around the world to care, take care of the sick, to even put themselves in danger for the sake of Christ. And it's my prayer that God would strengthen each of them moment by moment to spend themselves and be the healing hands of Jesus to people who are fighting to breathe, to bring times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. That word refreshing in Acts chapter three, I don't know if you know this, it means literally recovery of breath. So I pray that even when people cannot physically breathe, that the Lord would, through his people, bring spiritual breath into their lives by the Spirit. So I thank you for this opportunity to preach today. I remember the day Namibia had its first case of COVID-19. I was with the Agape Youth Worship Team. The passage we were studying was 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. And God spoke into our lives that morning through this text to encourage us and give us hope as we face the uncertainties of COVID-19. So let me try to replicate for you, new hope, what the Lord brought to our worship team that morning. The apostle uh, Peter wrote this letter of uh, 1 Peter to encourage an, uh, persecuted and suffering Christians to stand fast in their faith and not to give up. But Peter goes further than endurance he talks about rejoicing in sufferings. Let me read this passage to you again. And it'd be good if you had your Bibles in front of you, because so, I'm going to be referring to it frequently. Let's look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory. An honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What I want you to notice first in these four verses is that it begins and ends with the word rejoice. Verse six, in this you rejoice. And verse 8, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Bible scholars call this an inclusio, alerting you to the fact that verse 6 to 9 is a unit. And telling us that this section is about rejoicing. That's what it's all about. Rejoicing in the midst of suffering and pains and trials of life. So right off the bat, this passage is not just about getting through or enduring suffering. It's about rejoicing in suffering. That's a whole other thing. Verse six, Peter says, in this you rejoice. In what? Well, right before in verse three to five, Peter had described them as being a people who had been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This inheritance was being kept or guarded for them, and they were being kept or guarded through faith for this salvation. Peter says, in this you rejoice. They rejoice in their heavenly inheritance. And we need to start here when talking about rejoicing and sufferings. The word for rejoice used in verse 6 and verse 8 is a very strong word. It means to exalt, to leap for joy, excessive or ecstatic joy and delight. Often spoken of rejoicing with song and dance. When was the last time you were so happy you erupted in spontaneous joy? song and dance, can you remember? When was your last time? That's the word. Jesus uses this word in Matthew five, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Do we actually rejoice in our heavenly inheritance? When is the last time you did that or even thought about what is stored up in heaven for you? It's like having an inheritance of $5 billion in the bank and never thinking about it, even forgetting about it, and crying about losing $5. Maybe you don't believe you have an inheritance because you don't see it with your eyes. Instead, we rejoice in our earthly inheritance. Compare how many times a week your mind mulls over how much money you have in your bank account. Yeah, think about it. How many times have you done that this week? How many times have you checked your bank account? How many, and versus how many times you, your mind mulls over what you have stored in heaven? Which one is more real to you? These words that Peter says, in this you rejoice, may mean nothing for some of us. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And since our treasure is on earth, our hearts are set on things on earth. Instead of things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. A Christian, though, is what Peter in verse 1 calls an elect exile, a foreigner to this world, one whose citizenship is in heaven, one who is longing for a better country, a heavenly one. This is where Peter starts when talking about joy and suffering. Peter says, you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so these people are rejoicing while they are grieved the word grieved here means to be distressed to be heavy with sorrow this word was used of jesus in the garden of gethsemane when he sweat blood as he contemplated the cross and face the wrath of God being poured out upon him for sin. So Peter is not talking about joy as some kind of avoidance of distress and sorrow. He's talking about rejoicing in the sorrow, exulting and leaping for joy and delight in the midst of heavy, heavy sorrow. These things seem incompatible. Is it possible? The apostle Paul seems to think so in 2 Corinthians 6:10. He described themselves as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Do you know what he's talking about here? I know many of you know and have tasted this in your own lives. But maybe some of you haven't. In verse 6, Peter says, they have been grieved by various trials. Literally, it says, many colored trials. I love this description because it's so broad. It's so all inclusive of all the trials we all face. Trials come in many colors, many shapes and sizes, all fit appropriately for you. For some of us, it's money problems, some job issues, some relationship problems, some marital problems, problems with kids, health, or fear of poor health or death whatever the trial may be from cancer to COVID, Peter says, you can have exuberant, leaping, ecstatic joy in the midst of it. And he's not talking about acting like there's not pain, but actually grieving, actually going through heavy sorrow and at the same time experiencing exuberant joy. And these various trials are all given by God. Look here, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. Meaning, God thought them necessary. God must have thought we needed these trials. Why do we need them? What is God doing in them? What are they necessary for? Look at verse 7. So that... The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is the answer? Why is God doing this? Why does God find it to be necessary? Notice the word repeated, tested. He is testing your faith. He is refining your faith when purifying gold it needs to go through the fire and when it is melted down the impurities float to the surface and can be sifted out and when it cools it comes out more precious than ever and so it is with our faith when various trials come when things go wrong in your life when you're in the fire It shows you the impurities in your faith, other things you are putting your faith in, other things besides God you were trusting in. And many times it's not until something is taken away, you then see that you were trusting in it. Without the fire, you would not have otherwise seen it. So you see the necessity. You cannot purify gold without fire. It is an impossibility. Fire is necessary to purify gold. And in the same way, no one can grow in the Christian life without the pain of various trials. Your faith cannot be purified without fire. These are necessary. It's it's not through listening to sermons. You know, when I was young, I wanted to grow as a Christian so bad. So I would do these marathon sermon listenings talk about chain smoking i would i would do chain sermon listenings thinking that i would just keep listening to him like like 24 hours a day it's like thinking that this would make me grow faster it's like a baby binge eating they don't grow faster they they just kind of get fat right it's not through perfect exercise of spiritual disciplines it's not through going to many retreats and conferences, going to many Bible studies, don't get me wrong. All these things are important in growth for sure. But what we learn here is that true and significant growth in the Christian life will not happen without pain, without the fire. It is necessary. Without it, you cannot know if your faith is real and your faith cannot be purified. I remember in med school, I would pray with my good brother. We wanted to be useful for God's kingdom. I remember, you know, that young passion, you know, that I remember reading that every Christian man who God used for his kingdom was prepared through suffering. And we would naively pray, God, do whatever it takes. Give us suffering and make us useful for your kingdom. Boy, oh boy, I didn't know what I was praying for. But you know, it was true real growth in my faith came and still comes through being grieved through various trials like the trials of the death of my father trials of broken relationships trials of my own failures trials of failure in ministry trials of lacking money trials of shame that's where my true growth came peter says if necessary that's what the text says. But why, God? Why do you find it necessary to put me through these things? God, just please spare me the suffering. And I hear him say to me, Because, my son, your faith is more precious than gold. What Peter means, since gold was the most precious thing on earth, is that there is nothing more precious than your faith. In fact, Your faith is so precious to God that he'll do whatever it takes to purify it. God will put you through a lifetime of suffering, which Peter calls for a little while. If only your faith might be purified, it is that precious to him. That must tell us something. It tells us how much God values your faith. If he's willing to put the ones he loves through suffering, think about how much that suff- how much he values the faith that he's purified. Have you ever put someone through suffering because you love them? It must've been because you saw there was something much more valuable that the suffering would produce and you did it because of love. It was not despite love. I remember my friends in Boston who, son was born with atrial atresia. And as we sat there with them, contemplating all that they would go through, all the years of surgeries and all the hospital visits, just to get that little boy to live long enough to be a teenager. In my heart, I felt this is not despite God's love. It's because of God's love. God must love you so much to give you this particular pain knowing what kind of purified precious faith he was going to create in you do you ever think of your grieving in various trials like that do you see the loving hands of your heavenly father apportioning by necessity a level of suffering specifically for you because he's shaping you with his love when I had my son stand in the corner with his hands up crying because of what he had done, was it out of spite? No, every moment was love. It was necessary. There was no other way. Why is faith so precious though? Look at verse seven. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As opposed to gold, which perishes, faith will not perish, meaning that it will last forever. That's why it's so precious. Not only that, faith will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Does Peter mean Praise and glory and honor will come to Christ or to us. Scholars are split on this, but maybe it's ambiguous because it's both. Think about this. Now your faith in Jesus is scoffed at by the world thought to be silly at best, throwing your life away. Why would you give away your wealth for Jesus? How foolish. Why would you keep yourself Pure sexually, how foolish! Why would you choose to give your life serving others in the hard places? How foolish! But at the revelation of Jesus Christ, when the world sees Jesus for who He really is in all His glory, then what will the world say about your faith? You threw everything away to follow Jesus. You were right. Your faith in Jesus is wise. Your is wise. Your faith will be praised and glorified and honored, not because you're so great, but because Jesus is so great. And now everyone sees it. Faith is precious because it sees the preciousness of Jesus Christ now, even at the time when Jesus is not fully revealed. The world does not see Jesus as he is right now. He is veiled. He is covered. But when he is revealed, when you take off the cover, everyone will see him as he is. And your faith will receive praise and glory and honor. How precious is your faith? And not only that, look at verse 9. Obtaining the outcome, goal of your faith is the salvation of your souls. The word obtaining is frequently used of obtaining a prize or a reward. So faith is precious because it sees the preciousness of Jesus and receives a prize, the salvation of our souls. What What is faith in times of trials and suffering? What is this faith? that obtains the reward of salvation. This word faith is thrown around like a buzzword and has lost its meaning in many circles. They say, if you have faith in Jesus in times of trouble, everything will be okay. Your life will turn out okay. It's almost like saying hakuna matata, no worries. You know, I watched um, T.B. Joshua. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him he's one of these uh, health wealth preachers. And I have to watch him because, you know, like a lot of Africans watch and I just have to be up with that. And he was saying, God will take away the corona. Just have faith and your life will be fine. Corona does not belong in your life. Fear does not belong in your life. Is that the faith Peter is talking about here that results in praise and glory and honor? and results in the salvation of our souls? Absolutely not. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not the belief that God will make everything turn out good in this life and take away all your problems. And faith is not even wishful thinking that if you just believe in Jesus that he will take away your sin, you'll go to heaven. This is important to know, to know the difference between gold and dross because many people advertise and teach the dross as the faith. Be careful that you know what faith is, or you may find that after the fire, there is no true faith remaining. I think Peter describes the faith he's talking about in verse eight. Take a look at verse eight. Why do I think that? He just talked about faith being refined by fire and the preciousness of it in verse seven. And he then ends, verse 9, with the outcome of faith, the salvation of our souls. So in verse 8, he must be talking about faith. He didn't suddenly change his topic. So let me read these verses, and you tell me what faith is according to Peter here. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Do you see the parallelism there? I think this is synonymous parallelism. The second parallel line says the same, same thing as the first to add emphasis and meaning. So what is faith? Is it just believing in Jesus in your, with your mind? Yes, that's part of it. But look closely, what are the verbs Peter uses here? You believe in him. You love him. True faith that leads to joy and receives the prize of salvation is not just an intellectual belief in Jesus. It includes love for Jesus, seeing the preciousness of Jesus. Faith is seeing the preciousness of Jesus. And as this faith is purified with fire, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, your joy increases. Why? Your faith, your ability to see the preciousness of Jesus becomes clearer and clearer through the fires of trials and suffering as you see and experience that this world and its desires are passing away. But our Lord Jesus is a rock on which we we can stand. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The result of purified faith and love is rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible. It is inexpressible because it cannot be explained by the world. How can the world know this joy? It cannot because it is based in something that is not in this world. It is a joy that is filled with glory. This word glory is the word doxa or weight and would bring to mind the Shekinah glory of God. This glory that is in his very presence where there's fullness of joy and at his right hand where there are pleasures forevermore. Hebrews talks about Jesus Christ as the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So it must mean that this joy inexpressible and filled with glory is available for you and me in the face of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to have joy unspeakable and full of glory to see the face of Jesus Christ. It all makes sense now. Loving Jesus and believing in Jesus results in joy in Jesus. I want to experience, New Hope, this joy more in my life. This rejoicing exceedingly with joy unspeakable and full of glory, don't you? Don't you even want to taste These early Christians had it even when they had not seen Jesus. They had not seen Jesus. Therefore, it must be available for us who also have not seen Jesus. It must be there for you and me. Oh, that our eyes of faith might be purified by the refiner's fire, that we might see the preciousness of Jesus Christ and thereby be brought to rejoice exceedingly with joy unspeakable and full of glory. New Hope, don't waste your sufferings and trials. Don't waste the multicolored trials that God has deemed necessary for your life. Instead, let your sufferings and trials purify your faith. Let them purify your view of the preciousness of Jesus so that you can say in your heart, Jesus, you are enough, you are more than enough. And this faith, which is of greater worth than gold, will bring you to higher heights of rejoicing exceedingly with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that you've given to us through the Apostle Peter a word that was given to Christians who were facing or were about to face tremendous suffering and persecution. And you did not just give them words so that they could endure and stand. You gave them words so that they could rejoice exceedingly, full of joy, inexpressible and full of glory. God, that is what we as your children want to experience. Lord, no, none of us likes to suffer. None of us likes to be grieved. But we know, Lord, that you as our loving and wise and sovereign Heavenly Father, Lord, you deem it necessary for our lives to purify our faith, to refine us like gold. So Lord, that our faith would result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, we look forward to that day when Jesus will no longer be veiled, but he will be revealed and we will see him in all his glory face to face. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.